Before we begin, let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we pray that only your word be spoken, only your word heard, and only your word lived. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Kids will believe anything. You know, when I was a, a young child, well, probably not too young, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit how old I was, but I was a kid. My grandmother convinced me that she did not have a belly button. And she showed me her stomach, and it was just smooth skin. Of course, what she had done is she wore these long skirts, and so she brought her skirt up and covered her belly button. But she showed me what she showed me, and I saw the smooth skin. I believe she didn't have a belly button. Uh, but later, uh, her and my sister, older sister had a, uh, a laugh over my, <laughs> my trust, I guess. Uh, but I, I learned a valuable lesson that uh, we, I learned skepticism to doubt, right? Uh, in a sense, uh, we need to teach our children that. We need to teach our children to be discerning, right? To make wise decisions in this world. They can't just trust everything that's told to them, right? We essentially have to teach them to doubt because our world is a deep blend of good and evil. It's a blend of the beautiful and the vicious. Doubt, skepticism, keeps us alive. But what happens when God asks us to trust him? Trust him in the face of the war in Ukraine. But what happens when God asks us to trust him in the face of the challenges in the life of our church? And what happens when God asks us to trust him in the midst of hurt and suffering in our own lives? We need to talk about this because if you're a Christian, your ultimate hope is meant to be the cross of Jesus and the second coming. In other words, our hope isn't in what we can do, is found in what God does. And so here's the main point of today's sermon. If God isn't your hope, then inevitably you will live for your own comfort. And if you live for your own comfort, it will destroy you. This matters, and we need to talk about it. And you know what? The key to avoiding this destruction is actually found in our Old Testament reading today, from Genesis. So let's turn to that passage and see what God is saying to us. Today, our Genesis reading begins like this. After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your very great reward. You know, one of the only times in the Old Testament that the phrase, the word of the Lord came, is used, is right here which means that this was a powerful message to Abram. God shows up. And he's telling Abram not to be afraid because in the previous chapter in Genesis, Abram had used military force to rescue his nephew from captivity, and he's afraid of retaliation. Abram doubts God's reassurance because God had promised him and his wife a child, and yet they remain childless. You know what? This doubt, this is not an abstract theological or philosophical doubt. This is a real and personal struggle. 
the desire for a child. And that's real even today. Abraham and Sarah want a child of their own, and God promised them one. And so far, nothing. Abram says to God, How can I be sure about you? God, I have doubts about you. How can I know you're going to do this? And so God responds, Abram, look up at the stars. That's how many children you will have. And the reading says, Abram believed the Lord, and he credited it to him as righteousness. Abram trusted God. And then God says, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to take possession of it. In this verse, God is reminding Abram of a promise he had already made to him. God's saying, I am the Lord, is a way of saying, Abram, you and I, we have an agreement between us, a relationship. Right? God is saying, I am giving you this land, and if you walk before me and obey me, you will take possession of it. Right? That's, he says, I am the Lord. And Abram doubts once again. He says, Sovereign Lord, how can I know that I shall gain possession of it? Abram is now full of doubts. Right? At first, he was saying to God, You made this promise to me, but I have doubts about you. But now he's saying to God, Okay, so we have this agreement that I'll obey you and you'll give me this land, but I don't know if I will come through. So God tells Abram to bring some animals. And then follows one of the most arcane rituals presented in the Bible. And in this, and in this obscure ritual, we learn something amazing about God. But before we explore that, I just want to take one moment to discuss what we see about doubt in this passage. And here's what we learn. God is open to doubts. You see, when God shows up, you know, and he shows up in a powerful way, Abram immediately doubts. And yet God responds with compassion and meets him in that doubt. Right? God doesn't respond, how dare you, Abram? I'm the creator and you're just an insect to me. He doesn't respond like that. He answers Abram again and again. Which means that God is open to doubts, for sure. But he doesn't let you stay in your doubt. God doesn't say, oh, well, you're only human and you're going to doubt. Right? He doesn't, leave, he doesn't say that. God keeps coming back. You know, this passage reminds me of, you know, doubting Thomas in the New Testament, who didn't believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. Right? All the apostles saw Jesus, but not Thomas. And so he said, well, if I don't see that. I'm not going to believe it. So what happens? Jesus shows up again to prove to Thomas that he's there. And when Jesus shows up, he says, here, Thomas, you know, touch me, see me, stop doubting and believe. You know, there's this perfect balance in Jesus. You know, when you doubt, he doesn't say, oh, how dare you? He doesn't get angry or upset. He shows up. On the other hand, he says, stop doubting and believe. There is a refusal to let you give into your doubts. God is gentle with doubters, 100%. And he says, you know, if this didn't help, maybe let's try this. 
He meets you where you're at, but he won't leave you in doubt. And this matters because some of you have spiritual doubts or religious doubts, and you sort of never change. You never get any better. You don't work on it. You give in to your doubts, and that's not good. We have to work on this and open our eyes. We have to be alert to the culture we live in that thrives on keeping us in doubt. You know, we live in a modern, sophisticated culture that assumes anybody who has any kind of certainties about faith at all is naive at best and some kind of bigot at worst. In other words, it's considered sophisticated to always be doubtful and skeptical about everything. So we have a secular culture that makes doubt into a virtue. And then you have Jesus, gentle with those who doubt, but never accepting doubt as a place where you can live forever. Doubt is not a home. And the way out of a life of doubt is to believe in the assurance of God. But how does God answer our doubt when we say, God, I don't know about you. And honestly, I don't even know about me. Well, God says to Abram, bring me a heifer, a goat, and a ram, each three years old, along with a dove and a young pigeon. And although this setup is really obscure to us, notice that Abram gets it immediately, right? God says, bring these animals, and Abram doesn't, he doesn't skip a beat. He knows uh, exactly how to arrange them. You know, we don't know what's going on, but Abram and people back then, they knew. They're making a covenant, a contract. You know, today it's paper and pen, right? If you're making some kind of deal, but you want to be sure of the person you're dealing with, you say, please sign on the dotted line, right? And this assures you of the person you're dealing with. You sign, you agree to certain stipulations, to certain arrangements, you know? Everyone in our culture knows that's how a contract is done. But in Abram's time, contracts were acted out, right? A drama of the consequences for breaking the vows. You acted out what was called the curse of the covenant. You know, this Genesis passage is obscure unless you link it to Jeremiah 34, verse 17 to 20, when it says, God says, You have not obeyed me. Those who have violated my covenant and have not fulfilled the terms of the covenant they made before me, I will treat like the calf they cut in two and then walk between its pieces. I will deliver into the hands of their enemies who want to kill them. Their dead bodies will become food for the birds and the wild animals. You know, there were many ways to make contracts back then. But in this way, you cut the animals in half and then you walk between the pieces and you say, let this happen to me if I don't keep my promise. It's pretty vivid. And there's one more thing we need to know. If this is a contract between equals, then both people would walk between the pieces, right? But if the contract was set up between unequals, like a covenant between a conquering emperor with conquered kings that he's turning into vassals, only the vassals walked between the pieces. Only the vassals took the oath because, of course, the the great king was being gracious and even entering into a deal with these losers, right? The king sits on the throne and the vassals walk through. And Abram, when God said, bring those animals, he was so sure about what was happening. He arranged everything. And yet, 
fundamentally, he was so wrong. Right? He thought he was about to walk between the pieces, but he didn't. Right? And that's important to notice because if God had told him to walk through, it wouldn't have helped his doubts. Right? Because if Abram doubts he can obey God, promising to be torn in two if he fails isn't a help. It doesn't help his doubt. It just fills him with fear. But what actually happens is one of the most amazing things in the whole Bible. It says Abram was out there for a while. The sun was setting and he fell into a deep sleep. But the commentators will tell you that this isn't a normal sleep because it says a thick and dreadful darkness came over him. A terror fell on him, a spiritual darkness along with a physical darkness of the setting sun. Right? And then God speaks to him. And then it says a smoking brazier with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. You know, the word blazing torch in the original language is conveying, uh, a, a, think of a lightning bolt, but a lightning that doesn't disappear right away, but remains static and yet moving. Kind of like a searing streak of lightning that remains and moves. Abram must have known what was happening here, right? The eternal God was saying to him, if the promises I make don't hold, may I be torn to pieces, may I die, may I be cut to ribbons. And this is incredible, this is astounding, because a conquering king would never walk between the pieces, but the Creator God walks through. And more amazingly, Abram doesn't walk through at all. And this is what God is saying. He's saying, I will bless you, even if it means I'm torn to pieces. Not only will I pay the penalty if I'm not faithful, I will pay the penalty if you are not faithful because your faithfulness has nothing to do with this blessing. This blessing is coming to you unconditionally and I will be torn to pieces if necessary. If you fail or I fail, I will be torn to pieces so I will still be able to bless you. And in that darkness, Abram must have been overwhelmed with confusion and, and joy, right? Wonderful, an unconditional promise. But he must have been confused, wondering, how is it even possible? How can this be? But you and I know how it happened. In Mark 15, 33, it says, At noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. When Jesus went to the cross, a thick and dreadful darkness came down again, a dark terror and dread. And he was torn to pieces. He was cut to ribbons. The immortal God became mortal. The divine king became a poor slave from a conquered and irrelevant people. And he died so that he could bless you, even when you fail him, with an absolutely unconditional salvation. That's the love of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Friends, that's the message. And we need to take it in. And I want to offer you one serious implication and then one very important application of what we're seeing in God's Word today. And here's the implication. Listen, once you see, make these connections, right? With God walking through the pieces, connecting to Jesus on the cross, sacrificing to love us and to welcome us 
into the uh, into family that God's family, right? When we make that connection, you have to stop believing and saying that all religions are basically the same thing. Not at all, right? Other religions either don't even have a God with some kind of impersonal force or a God that would never become human to suffer and die to save the faithless, right? So this is found only in Christianity, only when you have faith in Jesus. But if you let go of that bankrupt relativism and open your heart to the God shown here between the pieces, you'll see the most beautiful thing you've ever heard of. There's no other religion that comes close. All right, so that's, that's the implication. Here's the application for today. Go to God with your doubt, and he will meet you. you know, when Abram went to God with real and honest doubt about his safety and a desire for a child, Right? At first, it feels like God's answer is a non-sequitur, right? Because God gives him a prophecy about his future descendants being slaves, but then God rescues them. It doesn't seem to connect at all. How does that future prophecy about his descendants connect with his desire for safety in a child? But what God is saying to Abram is this. Abram, I have secured your life. Your, your future on the grand scale is secure. So trust me. In your moment right now. And in the same way, God says to us, I have secured your life, your future on the grand scale, in the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus. Your future is safe, so trust me in your moment right now. You know, St. Paul makes clear that the cross of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus are meant to be our anchor in tough times. The hope we have in our future secured by God. That's the true hope. But let me tell you something. If that's not true of you, then whatever you say, your true anchor is becoming and has become your comfort. St. Paul says, Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach. And their glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. When you live for your stomach, in other words, when you live for your desires, that means that no matter what you tell yourself and you tell others, you're living for your own comfort. And if you live for comfort, it will destroy you. And here's how. Your comfort will always distract you from the things of God and in fact breed hostility to the things of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. This hostile posture of the heart is encouraged by our current culture, modern secular materialism is all about resting in so-called well-earned comforts to the detriment of an honest spirituality and faith. Comfort destroys authentic spirituality. Comfort breeds doubt that undermines the promises of God and it leads to spiritual death. And there are many ways that this happens, but here are just five ways. If God isn't your hope, then doubt defines your faith journey. And instead, what's really happening is that comfort defines your faith journey. And difference and change will be threatening to you, and you'll resist change because you don't believe that God has good things in store for you. 
Number two, the small control you feel you have over your life will lead you to have a tighter grip on the things you control and try to control others. And that's going to define your life rather than the love of God defining your life. And this will influence your politics. Your politics will be about securing your comfort over what's best for everyone. And this will influence how you negotiate our church life. Your goal for church will be to ensure your comfort over what's best for the mission of the church. And what's best for those who have yet to join the family of Jesus. And this will influence your relationships. You will maintain relationships so long as they don't impinge on your comfort. And those around you will feel, rightly, that they are optional. In the short and long term, you will end up alone and yourself to blame. So don't give into this way of living. Don't give into doubt. Instead, trust Jesus. And here's how you can do it. Here's your main to do for this week. I invite you to try this out. Pray for five minutes every day and speak your doubts to God. Be honest with Him. Be honest with yourself and ask Him to find you. He found me. Years ago, when I, when I was, before I became a Christian, I remember I had read some Christian philosophy and it was about midnight in my room. And I prayed. And it was a small, awkward prayer. But I said to God, I kind of, I made a deal with him. I said, God, my friend Phil tells me that if I pray in this room, if I speak out loud, that I'm not just speaking mindlessly, but that in fact, you can hear me. And so, God, I'm going to go to your church. I'm going to read your book. I'm going to join one of these Bible studies. And I'm going to meet you halfway. And I've been told that if I meet you halfway, you're going to meet me. Show yourself to me. And I'll be honest with you. When I said that prayer, and the ensuing days and weeks and months, God didn't find me in a miraculous moment like the one that Abram experienced. Right, And I thought maybe I would, or I hoped that I would. But he did find me. And a small group of guys that patiently listened to my doubts responded with thoughtful and kind answers, and they loved me. And I can look back to that and know for sure that God found me. And here I am today. And so because he found me, he can find you too if you go to him with your doubts. Because if you don't bring your doubts to God, then your doubts become the unarticulated assumptions that block your heart and mind from receiving the love, the joy, the peace, the hope of Jesus. But if you do bring your doubts to God, He will meet you and He will bring you to a place where you can trust Him. You know, I don't have a timeline on how this is going to look like in your life, but I know God will meet you. He made Abram, he met me, he will meet you, because God is the one person that never fails, and we can always trust him. Amen. Together, let's pray. Loving and gracious God, we thank you for the love you offer us in Jesus that is greater than our doubt. Remind us through your Holy Spirit that because Jesus experienced the darkness, you have shown us your light. 
because he experienced alienation, you have promised us a home. Because he experienced a grave, you have given us the skies. And help us not to be afraid, because you are our shield and very great reward. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.